DJ Allred hit that beat. Oh my god. Okay. No. Okay. Sorry. That was not a good place to start. I. We're in it. Oh, we're in. We're going. We're going. We're going to sing. We're going to sing songs. We're going to sing songs. Best. 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 In education. In education. In Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. Let's go down to Odyssey. We'll learn some cool new things and new opportunities. Odyssey's made of magic. Made of magic. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that uh, belongs to the school, and I belong to that school too. My name is Elijah Allred, and I am here with Kylie Hulver, and Kylie is a teacher in the 5-6 classroom for science and math. Kylie is also a really talented curriculum planner and a jewelry maker and an artist and a maverick and a political candidate for the presidential election of the United States of America, (laughs) psychic medium and large, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, You left out a couple things, but I think that'll uh, be good for an intro. Yes, thank you, uh, DJ Allred. All hail Kylie, Queen of America. Thank you. So Kylie, hi. We work together (laughs) every single day. We do. (laughs) We are very well There's a lot of pretense here, but it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's good to see you, and this is your best practice. What are we talking about today? So today we are going to be talking about game design and curricular implementation of those games. Um, It's a topic very dear to me. Um, I have grown up to be a lover of games and joy and all things potentially competitive and also collaborative. Um, And so I just have been looking for ways to incorporate that into my curriculum and in my classroom to give myself and students the opportunity to share in that. Are you a gamer? Uh, It depends on the game, but I think the way you're asking me if I'm a gamer, I'm going to say no. Like you're not. Like I don't like, like Call of Duty, like Xbox. Warfare, no, or... I have not picked. I don't think I've actually ever even played an Xbox. I'm talking about like throwing things and um, racing and more like gross motor skill games, um, puzzles and and things like that. So, so you're like you're into sports. I'm into sports. I am a sports ball gal. Yes. Are you? Is there a particular sport that you like? Play. I, I'm sorry. This is not on the script of things that we would ask you, but th- I wanted you to talk about how you came up with like some of these ideas. And it's frisbee golf, yes. right? Uh, um, disc golf is not my bag, um, but I do play ultimate frisbee right now. Ultimate, that's and ultimate frisbee. I have a joy of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So usually in those games, the point is competition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what is the point in your instruction of playing games? Yeah, totally. That's that's a great question. Actually, that's a really nice lead in. Um, okay, so the point of so my much. games, you're so welcome. You're a great host. Thank you for thanking me. Thank you for thanking me for thanking you. <laughs> Kylie, please answer the question. I'm dying. We're just made of magic here, Elijah, and we're just celebrating it, okay? Did you Not listen to the intro? Not weird at all. Not weird at all. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay, so why games? Um, games, I find to be an excellent way to differentiate in my curriculum. Um, they are experiential. They're engaging. They bring joy um, to at least a lot of my students. I know games aren't necessarily for everyone. Um, but I think especially in fifth and sixth grade, um, it lends itself really well to where they are developmentally um, and sort of filling their needs in a nourishing way for their bodies as they move throughout the day. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk today about um, a couple different elements of games, um, ways to differentiate, ways to get kids to collaborate, 
scoring, um, kind of everything under the sun that, that relates to games. So when you are creating games for the classroom, mm -hmm. you're, you're obviously not like thinking the same thing as like, how do I make a competition that ends up having like the, ends up engaging them on a competitive level exclusively. What are you taking into account when you're making those games? What elements are you putting together? Yes, totally. Um, okay, so elements of a game. Um, we have collaboration, oftentimes. Um, we have teams. We have chance versus control, right? So um, incorporating things like pulling cards, rolling dice, things that are outside of a student's um, own um, self-government, right? So um, something external to them. Um, and I, I find that that brings in an element of equity. So even if a student may not be at the same level with the material that another student is, because of this element of chance, they're still able to participate and have a shot at winning the game when you incorporate those elements in a significant way. Right, um, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually does make a game better in like the larger context of games and how they're played. Like yeah. if if the chances, can you find the one item that will get you to win the game and like mm -hmm. something like Fortnite, that's part of it. But another part of it is just, are you lucky enough to drop wherever you need to search to do that? But mm -hmm. your games have to have scores mm -hmm. and those scores are not necessarily correlated to their grades is that yes. right what are you taking into account when you're creating a scoring system for a game that has chance and educational elements present yeah totally um so it's kind of all-encompassing um i am a firm believer that scores should never be based at least solely on academic performance um, I think that when you look at a classroom, you look at the differing needs of all the students, where they're at with their understanding of the content, um, you really need to be able to allow the kids to access um, the feeling of success within a game that's not just academics. Um, so my scoring incorporates effort. Um, it incorporates both fine and, fine and gross motor skills. So for example, um, do a problem, show me what you know for this thing, and then throw a ball into a hoop, fly an airplane across the classroom into a bucket. Um, uh, it could be kicking a ball. It could be any number of things. Um, so that's how I incorporate um, sort of physical movement. Um, and then I already kind of noted on chance. Um, so again, rolling dice, drawing cards. And, and these are all things that you can combine, right? So um, you solve a problem, you roll the dice. If you get an even number, then you get to do x thing if you roll an odd number then you don't get to do x thing or score x amount of points um so it really is a way to level the playing field um in that way um and and these are you know just a variety of ways um that are accessible to earn points but i think it's important to get creative you know um i could even see incorporating musical components or artistic components or um you know it, it doesn't just have to be physical movement or chance um but really leaning into your students interests um, is important in this way. Um, my kids happen to be movers and they really enjoy um, getting up and moving around in the classroom. And uh, that's when they really do. We... Fifth grade? Yes. They, fifth grade, mm -hmm. like they have to be up. So yes. that's why this is such a brilliant idea. Fifth grade's also like, I'm coming from the seven, eight middle school tradition. That's where I teach like mostly here. Mm -hmm. And it's where I taught mostly before. And those kids have a lot of resilience when it comes, I'm kind of going off script here, but Let's like they're the, they have a lot of resilience when it comes to playing against one another and being able to deal with like the small solemn disappointment of not having scored their best. But fifth grade is very soft Yeah, as are like, I'm sure many of the kids who people who are listening in might be teaching 
do you have kids break down as a result of not getting their best score on the game? And then like, do you have to deal with that? And then how do you deal with that? Mm. I actually have not encountered that because of the way the scoring works. I think that if you have a scoring system that reflects only academic performance, I would be shocked if you didn't run into that, honestly. Sure. Um, Because basically what you're saying to a student is, you are not performing, it it really uh, visibly levels the students um, in a comparative way to one another. Um, which I think is incredibly unhealthy and not something that I want ever to be in my classroom. Um, but instead, by incorporating these chance elements, it really externalizes the scoring process. And so they don't engage with that sort of negative self-reflection if they have a low score. They could get all of them right. They could do them really quickly and still um, come in like seventh place or something like that just because of um, the the variety of ways that we take points so i mean like some of the the fine motor skill gross motor skill is like throwing an airplane for instance is that mm-hmm. considered like a chance element or are you talking about literally the dice rolling element yeah when i say chance element i'm literally talking about dice or drawing cards you know for different suits um and the gross and fine motor skills are more about throwing cook, kicking um jumping hopping you know um all so kinds of like, the, like these the dice and cards thing is really interesting to me because it is such a brilliant safeguard against like that desolation that occurs when a kid doesn't end up with the highest i mean even like you do kahoot in class have you ever done that right like Mm -hmm. you do kahoot and like i've seen kids like get really emotional that they Mm -hmm. don't get to put their little names up on the podium and Mm -hmm. kahoot does i mean maybe we would have less like you know sports riots in like boston if they just had to roll a 20-sided dice at the end of the game and if you got under 16 you lost or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. like that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) it really does have this like you can blame the dice as opposed to yourself after a certain point exactly right but you're still getting instant feedback as you go through it right so every time they answer a problem they're coming up to me they know immediately whether they're getting it right or wrong they have a correction to make they go back to their seat and they correct it so even if in the moment they don't get it right on their first try, um, and I'm talking specifically about math problems right now, um, they go back, they correct it, and then they still get that intrinsic feeling of success when they've corrected it and checked it back with me. So they're not going through the whole game, doing every question, maybe using an incorrect method or making the same mistake, Um, but they get immediate feedback, which I think is really important to their self-esteem so that they can continue forward um, doing something in the appropriate way. And I'm assuming that part of the reason why you're like touting this, I guess, like educational philosophy is that you've seen results. Like mm-hmm. kids come back knowing that stuff because they store it away in a part of their brain that competes in that part totally. of your brain. Like, you know, you dream about competition. Like you play Tetris, you dream about Tetris. So it ends up in this competitive <laughs> part of your brain. <laughs> um, uh, so this sounds time intensive mm. to me. And as an educator, even though I have a lot of time, I like to spend it on doing things like going on vacation and mm. like seeing my child for more than an hour a day. Um, you know, luxury. Do, do you feel like this takes a lot of time out of your day, like you're planning till midnight to make these games up because they're super intense? Right, that's a great question. Um, actually, the answer is no. Um, over the summer, I had a lot of time on my hands and I spent probably like, I don't know, somewhere around 15 hours hanging out at coffee shops, writing this whole game curriculum. And I actually didn't get to finish it. And it's something I'm excited to incorporate in the future. Um, But it was this whole kind of alternate world where there were going to be planets hanging from the ceiling and the students would go on missions to hop between planets as they solve problems and um, think critically together. Big project, right? Um, But we don't always have, yes, dream project for sure. But we don't always have that time. Um, Sometimes, you know, a teacher might walk into class and they've got 
um, you know, practice problems or, or something a little bit more basic like a worksheet or maybe it's um, just something quickly at the end of class. Um, but it's super easy to spice those up on the fly, right? So I'm going to kind of talk about two different things. I'm going to talk about how to spice up a worksheet because that's really fast and easy to answer your question. Um, and then I'm also going to talk about the systems that I use for games, which make it really quick um, to produce new games in less than probably 30 minutes. Um, so to start spicing up a worksheet, um, something that I like to do with this is, um, again, incorporating immediate feedback. A student takes the worksheet, answers the question, checks in with you about it, and at that point is given access to resources such as dice, cards, airplanes, balls, all the things that we've been talking about um, to try to score points. So they're just doing the same work that they would have on the worksheet, but instead they get this little almost reward, um, which is getting out of their seat to do something really fun, really quick, less than 10 seconds to try to earn points, um, which I also see to be highly motivating for them um, to try to get the um, problems done efficiently and with greater accuracy. Um, so that's kind of the worksheet side. Do you have any questions about that? How do you make sure they're not cheating? Mm. Um, well, it's independent work and the kids, I actually really watch them zone in. Um, you know, I think when they're trying to really get it done and also there is an aspect of competition, even though it's external to them based on these scoring ways that we've talked about, mm -hmm. um, I do really see them working independently because they want that feeling of success for themselves and for themselves solely. It's like they don't think to cheat because part of it is the competitive nature yeah. of what they're being. It's like go mode. Do. They're just like in it, you know? Sure. Yeah, and so, I mean, sometimes when it's solely competition as opposed to some element of chance, you mm -hmm. can get to the point where you're like, I am willing to do anything to win, including mm -hmm. cutting corners. But they're not like, for instance, like they're they're rolling a dice, mm -hmm. right? And then the, it, the score comes up like snake eyes, a one and a one. Mm -hmm. do, do they, are they responsible for writing down what their score oh, on the dice is? I understand your question. They actually do that right in front of me. So I'll okay. be at a table... Um, so you don't move around the room during these activities. You're like, you got, this is the teacher loft mm -hmm. and you come up to the teacher. Okay. Yes. This is the teacher palace, um, you know, because I'm the queen as mentioned in the intro and they come to me and I give them feedback and stop president laughing. queen, president queen, yeah, psychic president queen. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And, and, um, yeah, that's the way that we, we move through it. But I did want to answer the other half of your question. Sure. Um, so one system that I use frequently, which is really great um, for differentiation purposes, is taking index cards um, and writing one problem per index card. In the top corner, I write one letter of the alphabet, each um, in a different color. So all the letters of the alphabet might be black on the note card and all the problems might be written in green so that they can easily visually see it. Okay, so you can kind of picture on a big table, you have 26 note cards, all with different problems, all with different letters of the alphabet on them facing mm -hmm. up. The students then, already in their binders, they have a game section in their binders, um, have a log that has 26 spaces A through Z on it. This is where they record their answers. So a student will come up, I will give them a card, they will take it back to their desk, solve the problem, write their answer on that score sheet that I talked about, the one that just has A through Z listed on it to write their answer down. So they're responsible for writing their own score on the thing? Um, Score sheet meaning where they are writing their answers and they're keeping the tallies of their score. So they are responsible for writing their score, but not documenting um, necessarily every dice roll or card pull that they have. Got it. Um, so um, the, the way that I differentiate in this, though, is I have systems for myself that are discrete. 
So when a student comes up to my desk, I might say, okay, I'm going to make all the vowels of this card set challenge problems. So um, when a student comes up that is really getting it, they need something a little bit harder, I'll hand them a vowel card. When a student comes up and maybe they need um, a little bit more of a simpler problem, fewer steps, I'll give them maybe um, any consonant that starts with a vowel sound like N or F. Um, they both start with E, E, um, which is a vowel sound. Um, so, uh, sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt you. This is most successful when you're aware of what academic level a kid is at in a, in a number of ways. Yes. Like you wouldn't go in, all right, first day of class, let's play this like relatively complicated ga game. This is in part knowing your mm -hmm. students. What's like the max number of kids that you've done this with? Or were you not explaining the game? Uh, sorry, finish explaining the game. Yeah, no, I, I mean, those are all great questions. Yeah, uh, we have played this up through my fifth grade class. Um, I've played it with both my fifth and sixth graders. Sixth, it's a little bit easier because That's we have like nine 20 students. 20-something kids, right? Well, fifth grade, we have, I think I have 17 in my math class. So it's um, a, a good number. It's a fair number. But I also think that you can really watch, right? If you know your system, I think it's, it's just as much about understanding your students in the moment in that class because you're going to see them um, increase their skills because most of the things that we're doing in games are um, skills that uh, require repetition. So um, operations with fractions, operations with decimals, changing fractions to percents and vice versa. Um, it's not necessarily like applying your knowledge in this complex way, right? It's pretty easy to um, start developing your systems for solving the problems and then apply it to subsequent problems as you go along. Um, hmm. mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Games aren't something like this game in particular is not something I would ever start a unit on. Hmm. Right. So I, I get to see how they're performing in class on their homeworks and on test formative assessments as we go along. And then by the time we play the game, um, you know, they're really just honing their skills in it. Um, additionally, you can keep track of their progress just in your mind. I think that it's something, I think that we really know our students well here. Um, and it, it's a lot easier to keep track in our minds, I think, than we think it is or perceive it to be. So, um, yeah, they live in your dreams. Right? They do. They <laughs> like do. They come out of, of my ears. Yeah, it's like inside out, but it's just the entire fifth grade class in just here. Mushed into my skull. Yeah. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really odd how often I have arguments with like a particular student while, you know, while I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, this kid keeps asking me about the homework and I don't know what we're going to do with the homework next week. That's really funny. Um, that's, can we just draw back on the intro and say, because that's not, Weird at all. <laughs> I mean, for teachers, it certainly isn't. Yeah, um, no doubt. And I wonder, well, it's funny to think that you're also a part of their subconscious for the rest yeah. of their life in the sense that you, the, the, the Kylie game that they were successful at will live in their mind as a victory far longer than it'll matter to you or I necessarily mm. that distinct game. And you, right. we know this because both of us have those experiences in the classroom where like it felt like being lifted up by your classmates mm. and sort of like carried off the field in victory because you won the one thing in the, in the math game. And this is leading to a question. I'm not just like mm. reliving my golden past as a <laughs> math doer, um, uh, which I've been, I'm, I'm reformed math doer. I no longer do math. It's exclusively English language arts. So, yeah. and, and, and podcasting, mm. um, and mostly just podcasting because they keep me locked in this room whenever, um, uh, we're not podcasting. Mm. I have to pretend to talk to people. So the <laughs> the question I have is, what is the reward for the kids who win? Do they get acknowledged mm. in any way? Do you say, and now victory has come to uh, Bing Bong, Bing Bong the child? 
<laughs> has, yeah. has won the game and we should celebrate him and give him, mm. uh, you know, praise? Or do you, or is it like they get a personal experience of being like, ah, high score, and then they can see mm. their, can they see their peers' scores? How mm. does like victory work? You know, I have not really settled on a philosophy around this in particular. I'm not sure that I feel settled on uh, if one way is better than another. Um, but what I do feel settled on is giving all kids the chance to feel achievement. Um, and so we do go around the room and share our scores, but again, because they're based on things that are not solely academic, um, it's really not something that the kids see as a reflection of themselves. Um, so they do feel that sense of pride in winning, but again, it's not uh, for any reason that they understand the material better or might be able to do it um, more quickly than, than their peers. Wait, so they don't see their peers' scores? We do. Yeah, we do share. But but again, it, with that buffer that it's not a reflection of their academic, um, you know, understanding or performance. And there is no podium ceremony. You're there is no like, podium ceremony. Okay. No, we and do. And no prizes, obviously. We don't do prizes at this school as sort of a philosophy, mm. just to be clear to anybody who's listening. Like, when I came in, I had, I had this, like, elaborate ticket system when I was in mm. my previous school. And then when I came here, they were like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And mm. it was obviously, like, behavior was much better mm-hmm. <laughs> as a result mm-hmm. of me not doing that. Mm-hmm. So you're not giving them like, here's a piece of candy or here's a ramen noodle or here's a- Oh yeah, no, I don't believe in food as rewards. Um, but I do, I will say I do keep a prize box behind my desk, but it's specifically for non-academic things. It's for cool. things that, you know, just, um, but they're neither rewards for uh, behavior or academics. So yeah, prize boxes can just be for the odd thing every now and right. then. So we're not talking about using prizes to incentivize these games, which leads to my next question. Um, let's say that you are like Bing Bong the child <laughs> and Bing Bong the child, he wears a leather jacket and he's got like Machi, Macho Man Randy Savage like sunglasses and he's cool and he's not going to play your dumb game uh-huh. because he's too cool for that. Uh-huh. If a kid is just like sitting out and not playing or not engaging, not getting into the go mode that you need them to, sure. are it... Are there dis like you know, obviously conscious discipline, but still disciplinary steps taken for not participating, or is it more like the participation is the reward, so you don't have to like mm. cajole a kid into not mm-hmm. playing? Do you let kids not play? I guess that's, that's my question. That's a great question. Um, I actually have never had that happen before, <laughs> and I will tell you why. Um, Gabe, the high school director, shout out to Gabe Johnson, he's great, um, gave me the best piece of advice um, a couple years ago at summer camp. And he said, when you get to the height of a game, that's when you want to cut it off um, because the kids will be left wanting more and they'll be wanting to play it again. Instead of if you let it kind of ride, you let, you know, the excitement build and you get to the top and then you let it come back down, they're not going to be stoked to play it again. So it's just about knowing how often you play these games, really peppering them in um strategically and and cutting them off not letting them go for too too long um so that they want to play again and i've actually never run into a kid not wanting to play one of the games that we do that is excellent advice gave us a genius cut the podcast now it's over i mean I, we don't actually have to no but i thought I, that was a great ending actually <laughs> i think we should leave it <laughs> i that was totally perfect Kylie, you're good at this. Thanks. I, I, this is a really neat system, and Thanks. I, and it's hard to apply this kind of thing to English language arts. It, it is, yeah. but it's. I yeah. mean, not everything can be like, yeah, multi multidisciplinary. Yeah, because short answers are just not what they need by fifth grade necessarily yeah. for yeah. ELA, and if they do, it requires so much more memorization and yeah. like. I don't know. I don't know. I, the, yeah. 
You can maybe do like spelling words if you like put like a spelling picture on Spelling would card. be great yeah. for this. And I haven't figured out how to do spelling in a way that cooks my cookies. So that's smart. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the chance element of this. And I would never have thought of that because it's like yeah. the automatic assumption is if you are you know, you should be rewarded by the ability to win if this is a merit-based thing, mm -hmm. but that creates this, like, chaotic and sometimes yeah. toxic environment oh, in totally. a class where, like, yeah. the victors are always... I mean, children are just fascists 90% of the time. <laughs> they, they, they just want to, like, wield all of their evil power over yeah. their peers. And like, yeah. I am king. Oh, totally. I am king of doing math problems and you <laughs> all serve me. And the chance part means that they're... Yeah. That it's actually a simulation of monarchy and that like yeah. you just end up in that position. There's no mm -hmm. merit. To right, any. exactly. That's that's exactly where I want them to be at. Yeah. Because then it's also like the kids that do perform academically low, like get to like shine, you know, in that moment if they win because they have just as much of a shot at it as anybody else. Um, which they might not always feel like in the math classroom that they are shining. Hmm. God. So yeah. it's it really brings back Neg I mean, I don't want to say it's negative memories because it's like I felt constantly berated by my math. I just didn't yeah. have great math teachers. It yeah. was like those were the people in my life that I felt like I always wanted to apologize to. Right. <laughs> oh, I were... hear I'm sorry all the time. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. That you want to say sorry yeah. to your to your teachers for not getting something right. I never hear it, Yeah. which is funny. I don't yeah. know why that that's the case, but I don't think ELA – or understanding like the deeper messages of a particular text makes you do want to do anything other than like criticize your teacher. <laughs> I think we have more grace for the things that come out of us internally than we do trying to like solve them something externally, which I feel like math is in LA is more intrinsic in that way of like, no, this is how deep my brain goes in the understanding or dissecting of the complexity of this text. But in math, it's like, okay, there is an answer that I have to reach. And regardless of how I reach that, I mean, there's many different pathways, but like you're still trying to get to something that is not just within yourself that you can find. I read yesterday, I don't really understand this, but I read yesterday that there was some German mathematician who like had a proof that explored the idea that with any, within any mathematical system, there are unanswerable questions mm. and therefore like truth is goes deeper than logic yeah. that you can short out the logic of any system mm. and but that it, getting to the place where you can get comfortable with the fact that like n n knowing a certain amount makes what who you are kind of dissolve into yeah. that thing as opposed to get, builds you up and makes you feel like you are, you know, the master of something. Yeah. The tr true mastery is the ego dissolving in, into the thing that you're attempting to right. master oh and not gosh. bolstering the ego. Getting to that point where the truth becomes an ocean of irresolvable information yeah. that, that you can still sink into and explore, That that's not something that, that you can have glimpses and moments of that as mm. your frontal lobe develops in childhood. But a yeah. lot of the illusion we create for them is, oh, yeah, yeah I, I am the master of something. I right. am the master of something, as opposed to the I does not exist and mastery is realizing that yeah. within any system, within oh, mathematics. Totally. Or, I, I don't know. Did At this point. That, yeah, oh, sorry. Did you know that zero is still, it's, it's out for debate whether it's a positive ne or negative number or neither? God, that's so cool. Isn't that so cool? It, and it, and it, it that is a semantic question. Yeah, it's a like, question of meaning. Right, exactly. Really and it cool. depends on the context. Like in the elite mathematical communities, it's still up for debate. 
And I people lo- think different I love things. knowing that. I love looking up. At the, it, like knowing that that is happening feels like like looking into like gods fighting with weather in the heavens yeah. that I, that I'll never reach the point at which I can understand how those clouds form yeah. and, and strike but I can but I can see this amazing and you can appreciate like, it yeah the, these these ghosts fighting in the sky or whatever yeah. and I can be like wow that's so cool up there you guys enjoy that argument <laughs> I'll never understand it I am not immortal <laughs> <laughs> that's funny oh hey we're late to our classes okay <laughs> No. Oh, how, what I, is the outro? We're, 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 okay, fine. What is, how does the outro go? I don't know. Just start playing it. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River, River Gergarian, Gergarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud. Let's go down to Odyssey. Help me, I am trapped. You're trapped forever. Opportunities. Somebody say I'm not going to have Magic. Weird at all.